Is Elon Musk's Starlink satellite internet system on Beijing's radar? Chinese researchers reportedly view the network as a possible military threat. An American investment firm could be profiting from China's zero-COVID-19 policy after investing millions into a Chinese PCR test manufacturer. Is Beijing becoming the next Shanghai? The capital city is tightening its antivirus measures, but it's causing delays for local medical care, a problem posing lethal consequences. And actor Tom Cruise's long-awaited Top Gun Maverick had a brilliant opening weekend for its global debut. The success came without China, the world's biggest movie market. Welcome to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. With Moscow already designating the Starlink internet system a military obstacle, now Chinese researchers are also viewing the network as a possible military threat. The satellite system was launched by billionaire entrepreneur Elon Musk to deliver high-speed internet to as many people as possible around the globe. NTD's Sean Marshall has more. Chinese military researchers claim that if Starlink satellites become a national security threat, the Chinese military needs to have the ability to destroy them. The paper published last month says, China needs to develop anti-satellite capabilities and a surveillance system with unprecedented scale and sensitivity to track and monitor every Starlink satellite. Brandon Weikert, author of Winning Space, how America remains a superpower, sees Starlink as a definite military advantage. The Biden administration needs to drop its political opposition to Musk and just give him a wide berth to do what he needs to in space. Russia's invasion of Ukraine showed the world Starlink's military capabilities, which had Elon Musk tweeting about his life possibly being in danger. Musk has given 40 Starlink terminals to the Ukrainians, and in so doing, Musk has shown that it is now extremely difficult for Russia to disconnect Ukraine from the wider global telecommunications system. Weikert's opinion is that SpaceX is the only thing keeping the U.S. in the space race with China. So China is trying to figure out how they can deprive, of, deprive us of that potential advantage. And what we need to do is protect that potential advantage by saying it will be an act of war, China, if you even think about targeting those systems. Starlink now reaches over 400,000 subscribers in 36 countries around the world, with service recently approved in Nigeria, Mozambique, and the Philippines. Sean Marshall, NTD News. Starlink and Tesla owner Elon Musk has been steeped in controversy, especially since he made headlines with his deal to buy Twitter. The deal amounts to $44 billion, though concerns about it are rising because of his links to the Chinese communist regime through Tesla's operations in China. An American company might have a financial stake in China's zero COVID-19 policy. Private equity firm Carlyle is the biggest shareholder of Chinese medical company Atacon Holdings. Specializing in clinical laboratory work, the company made hundreds of millions through mass virus testing as part of China's policy. NTD's Don Ma has the breakdown. The Carlyle Group is based in Washington and is one of the world's largest investment firms. David Rubenstein co-founded the group and currently serves as co-chairman. Carlyle invested millions in Adicon in 2018 and became its largest shareholder. The Carlyle Group expects that China's testing market will see significant growth amid the pandemic 
And with Carla's support, Atticon has been expanding its network of laboratories in China. From 2020 to 2021, Atticon made about $300 million through COVID testing in China. Though Atticon is not the only Chinese company Carla has investments in, the private equity firm has been investing in China for over 20 years in a slew of different companies, including Chinese healthcare provider Meinan One Health, biopharmaceutical company Salbris, and medical group Zongmei Healthcare. China's zero-COVID policy of constantly monitoring and testing its citizens is a boon to the country's medical sector. For example, first quarter profit more than doubled for one of China's largest virus test manufacturers. Hanzhou-based Dian Diagnostics Group's revenue jumped more than 60% to nearly $700 million. Beijing is on track to spend more than $52 billion this year, a quarter of New York's 2021 GDP, on mass virus testing and other zero-COVID measures. But that may not be such a good investment. A number of experts have criticized China's mass testing measure. A professor of epidemiology at the University of California, Los Angeles, says that because of the strong infectious nature of the Omicron variant, mass testing can actually lead to an increased risk of cross-infection. Don Ma, NTD News. It seems like mass testing could be here to stay in China. Chinese authorities are now seeking to normalize some of the tough pandemic control measures, even after lockdowns end. The country is setting up thousands of permanent PCR testing stations, with 9,000 already completed in Shanghai. Next, let's take a closer look at those virus tests. How accurate are COVID-19 test results in China? As for at least some of them, the answer is not very. Within 10 days, three COVID-19 test makers in Beijing have been accused of fraud. Two dozen people have been arrested. The accusations include providing test results without actually testing samples and testing more than 10 samples together. Under Beijing's strict prevention policy, the market for COVID-19 tests has exceeded $1.5 billion over the past two years. During that time, large numbers of testing agencies rushed into the market, hoping to claim a share of the profits. But reports show that path may not be so clear-cut. Deep Blue is a Chinese media platform focusing on in-depth Chinese pharmaceutical sector observation. It revealed that some Chinese companies are facing a crisis because of authorities' long-term default on paying for mass amounts of virus tests. Deep Blue's article disclosed that some companies won't get paid for half a year or up to nine months, and that some companies are owed hundreds of millions of yuan, equal to tens of millions of dollars. In China, large-scale COVID-19 testing has mainly been funded by two sources, local authorities and state-owned medical insurance. In some places, residents have to pay out of pocket. Beijing is taking its antivirus restrictions a step further. In the city's Fengtai district, an announcement ordered residents to suspend non-essential travel and movement. The order takes effect Tuesday and lasts until Monday, but may be extended. The announcement also mandates working from home and says communities in the district should be put under a sealed lockdown. Another of Beijing's districts, Haidian, released a similar announcement on Tuesday. On top of the work-from-home requirements, district authorities say they're locking down all communities and deploying a 24-hour guard. These enforcers will monitor the flow of residents and vehicles locally. The district also closed all of its public venues, leaving only grocery stores and some restaurants open to provide food and takeout services. But with strict lockdowns come consequences. 
A father shared his family's tragedy on social media, saying that his son died after waiting 54 minutes for an ambulance. According to the Post, the man was struck by a heart attack and called 120, the Chinese version of 911. But several hospitals refused to treat him, citing the local health restrictions. By the time he was accepted by a hospital three miles away, it was too late. Another patient, this time an 80-year-old woman, endured similar medical delays. She developed a gastric perforation or a hole in the lining of the stomach and needed emergency surgery. But the hospital required her to take a COVID-19 test before treating her. The woman got tested on site, which came back negative. But the hospital then asked to check her digital health code for confirmation. The readouts are accessed via smartphone and are part of China's contact tracing system. But a tech glitch slowed the process even further. By the time she went into surgery, it had been more than six hours since she arrived at the emergency room. The patient is currently in the intensive care unit. Over the long weekend, actor Tom Cruise's long-awaited Top Gun Maverick made its global debut and pulled in a projected $151 million in the U.S. That's the biggest opening weekend haul of the star's career. Interestingly, the stellar debut is actually without the Russian and Chinese market. It seems Paramount isn't planning to show the movie in China. Chinese tech firm Tencent recently withdrew its investment from the film. Insiders say it's afraid of being linked with a movie that promotes the American military. Tom Cruise may have pulled off one of the greatest feats of his career. Top Gun Maverick, the long-awaited sequel to his 1986 blockbuster original, opened to a projected $151 million over the four-day Memorial Day weekend in the U.S., making it the highest-grossing film debut of his career and his first to surpass $100 million on an opening weekend. Credit dazzling reviews, loads of nostalgia, and Cruz's return to the cockpit as Navy pilot Pete Maverick Mitchell, the actor telling Reuters the role is truly one he relishes. I have such a passion and love for aviation. We just had a lot of fun. Top Gun Maverick was scheduled to open the summer of 2020 until the health crisis scrambled those plans. Moviegoers who flocked to the original, namely people now over 40, turned out in force which is impressive given that that demographic has been the most reluctant to return to theaters. Distributor Paramount Pictures hopes the film's strong word of mouth helps attract those not yet born when the original opened 36 years ago. A number of blockbuster films have faced censorship inside China. It largely involves political reasons, where the film's cast or the movie itself conflict with the Communist Party's ideals. Let's take a look at some examples. First, Simu Liu, a budding Hollywood star and the lead in Marvel's Shang-Chi. He took heavy criticism from China after recounting his parents' immigration to Canada in an interview. According to him, they left to seek freedom, and so their son wouldn't grow up under communist rule. Similar to Liu's case, Chloe Zhao is one of the world's most successful Asian women directors, as well as the recipient of both an Academy Award and a Golden Globe Award. According to a Yahoo Finance report, she previously took aim at the regime over, quote, mainland China becoming a land full of lies under the CCP's ruling. The comment led to her movie's exclusion from Chinese theaters. 
Two of this year's top films, both sequels, are getting similar treatment. Both Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness and Top Gun Maverick have been iced out in China. Some suspect that's over images that appear in each film. In Doctor Strange 2, a newsstand belonging to the Epoch Times is visible. The newspaper is known for its uncensored coverage of China. In Top Gun 2, a patch featuring the Taiwanese flag appears on Tom Cruise's jacket. But even without the chance to screen in China, Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings box office made over $430 million. While recently released Doctor Strange 2 and Top Gun 2 are already hitting impressive box office numbers. The shift hints that China's sizable movie market may be less critical for a film's success compared to its curbs on depictions of freedom and democracy. China fell short on a bold plan Monday to have 10 Pacific nations endorse a sweeping new agreement, covering everything from security to fisheries. What's at stake? We hear more from NTD's Chen Wu. Chinese Foreign Minister Wang Yi is midway through an eight-nation tour of Pacific islands where Beijing has been trying to tighten alliances. The China-Pacific Island country's common development vision was leaked last week. The plan was meant to cover cooperation across 10 Pacific nations in the fields of free trade, fisheries, security, cyber and maritime mapping, and would have been a significant step forward for the Chinese Communist Party's ambition in the region. Wang stated that the accords would only mean greater harmony, greater justice and greater progress of the whole world. But the deal was shelved Monday after a lack of agreement among the island nations. As always, we put consensus first among our countries throughout uh, any discussion on new regional agreements. Micronesia's president said the agreement could enable China to own and control the region's communications infrastructure, meaning the communist regime could intercept emails and listen in on phone calls. The U.S. and its allies have expressed concerns that Beijing would use the proposed accords to take advantage of and destabilize the region. Also, that the Chinese Communist Party may be seeking a military outpost in the South Pacific, greatly increasing their geopolitical reach in an area of traditional American naval dominance. China is the only country with both the intent to reshape the international order and increasingly the economic diplomatic, military, and technological power to do it. Despite having a small population and economy, each Pacific state represents a vote at international forums such as the United Nations. They also control vast swaths of resource-rich ocean and access to a region with strategic military significance. Chenny Wu, NTD News. Chinese security forces are taking advantage of a recently signed security pact with the Solomon Islands and are conducting training for the Royal Solomon Islands Police Force in the capital city. Coming up, under Beijing's zero COVID-19 policy, residents across the country are reporting food shortages and heightened stress. But migrant workers may have it even worse than locals. Find out more after the break here on China in Focus.
Welcome back to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. China's zero-COVID policies have battered its economy. Residents across China are complaining about lost income, difficulty sourcing food, and mental stress. But migrant workers have it even worse than most. They are unable to work from home or earn a steady income. Chinese migrant worker Sun Wu recently showed Reuters his latest lodging, shared with a fellow migrant worker a quarantine center housing at least 80 people in disaster relief tents, the culmination of his ordeal in lockdown Shanghai. Inside each tent, there are plug boards, light bulbs and two beds. The staff provided a portable toilet. But it doesn't work very well, because the toilets are all placed inside the tent. If you use it inside, the whole tent will smell. China's uncompromising zero-COVID policies have battered the world's second-largest economy. Many of Shanghai's 25 million residents complain about lost income, difficulty sourcing food and mental stress. But migrant workers, unable to work from home or earn steady pay, have it much worse. And there are more than 290 million from China's vast countryside. When the city began its strict lockdown two months ago, Sun lost his job as a waiter and his spot in a migrant worker dormitory. He began sorting government deliveries for locked down residents to make ends meet, living in the warehouse where he worked. But when he left to look after his sick girlfriend, COVID rules meant he couldn't return to either place. With train services halted, returning home to the country's southwest wasn't an option either. After sleeping in his trusty little tent in parks and plazas, he says he was told by police that he was on his own when he sought help. The despondent 22-year-old took to social media in mid-May, posting on the Twitter-like Weibo platform that all he wanted was a place to sleep and eat. I felt that I'd completely run out of options. I've never felt so wronged. The post went viral, drawing outrage at the lack of support for migrants. Soon, the authorities reached out to him and sent him to this government site. When asked for comment on the wider issue, China's Ministry of Civil Affairs said it attaches great importance to the relief and assistance work for people in distress due to the epidemic and had introduced measures, including a hotline and a one-time unemployment subsidy for uninsured migrant workers who have not worked for three consecutive months. Soon said he saw hundreds of other homeless migrants like him, but Valerie Tan, an analyst at the Makata Institute for China Studies, believes the number could be in the hundreds of thousands, or even millions. We just have to remember a third of China's workforce are migrant workers and they are concentrated in these big cities which are the worst hit in this round of lockdown so the numbers are definitely likely going to be quite substantial tan says migrants are low priority for the beijing government this is despite president xi jinping's policy objective of common prosperity as he moves towards a historic third leadership term this year but while the country's financial hub has flagged plans to reopen soon, Shanghai's lockdown has laid bare the deep veins of inequality in Chinese society. 
Chinese Premier Li Keqiang recently held an emergency meeting with an unusually large turnout. More than 100,000 officials participated. Talks focused on reviving the country's economy without a single word about the country's virus prevention lockdowns. Let's zoom in on the story. Chinese Premier Li Keqiang held an emergency meeting last week aimed at restoring the Chinese economy. More than 100,000 high-level officials attended. Premier Li Keqiang's meeting to uh, stabilize the Chinese economy was joined by tens of thousands. Frank, why such a large meeting? It's such a large problem, I suppose. Beijing's zero COVID-19 policy is wreaking havoc on the country's financials. Residents are confined to their homes, factories are closed, even farmers are forbidden from working their fields under lockdown. Chinese official data shows that retail sales fell by 11 percent in April. In a rare move, Li admitted to the downward pressure on the economy and said it has strained the market. Economists believe that without easing China's zero-COVID-19 policy, economic stimulus tactics will do little to help. Leland Miller, the CEO of China Beige Book, told Yahoo Finance, If the economy, if, if, if 40 percent of the population is locked down, or 40 percent of GDP in the country is locked down, you could talk all you want about stimulus, but what are you going to stimulate? Premier Li stayed silent on the zero COVID-19 policy during the meeting. Chinese affairs analyst Li Hengqing also cast his doubt on economic revival formulas. The dynamic zero-COVID-19 policy staved off the traffic flow, hinged the supply and production chains. Cities, counties and towns are shut down. People can't leave their homes. How are they supposed to work? How can companies stay in business? As China's economy suffers, many foreign companies are shrinking their dependence on Chinese manufacturing. India, Vietnam and Mexico are becoming new substitutes for companies like Apple. Frank Gaffney shared his thoughts on why Beijing still insists on its zero COVID-19 measures. These lockdowns are taking place as part of an effort again to gain control of the Chinese people and discipline them to understand they're going to have to make sacrifices. While much of the world is now recuperating from the pandemic and easing prevention measures, China remains the only major power ramping up its rules. The UK business secretary has called for a full national security assessment of the takeover of a microchip manufacturer by a Chinese-owned company. The move last week followed growing pressure from lawmakers. There are concerns that one of the UK's largest manufacturers of semiconductors has been acquired by a strategic competitor. The manufacturer is Newport Wafer Fab. It was purchased by Nexperia, a company said to be linked to the Chinese Communist Party. The UK government has 30 working days to carry out that assessment. And British lawmakers are also pressuring the government to replace cameras made by the Chinese company Hikvision. The firm has been accused of being complicit in grave human rights violations in Xinjiang. In the UK, Hikvision cameras are used inside government departments, local authorities and schools. Now we turn to our viewers' request for a review of China's influence in Sri Lanka. This can be seen as a textbook example of how the CCP influences many countries around the world. Sri Lanka is enduring its worst financial crisis since its independence. And some are accusing big lender China of using a debt trap to increase its own geopolitical power. And Yi's Chen Wu spoke with an expert to get his take. Sri Lanka's 22 million people are in a dire situation. We are presently undergoing a severe economic crisis 
that has profoundly impacted the lives of all Sri Lankans. Sri Lanka ran out of foreign currency in April, leading to food shortages, power outages and protests. And earlier this month, the country defaulted on its debt for the first time in its history. Sri Lanka now owes more than $50 billion to foreign creditors. Among them, China ranks number three, accounting for around 10 percent of the debt. But according to China affairs analyst Tang Jingyuan, the Chinese regime has the greatest potential to take advantage of the situation. It's through this kind of exchange. You owe me some debt. Then you have to hand over control of your important strategic assets. Tang gave the example of the Hamban Tota port. Sri Lanka paid for its construction project with $1.1 billion in Chinese loans. It's part of China's Belt and Road Initiative, but the port failed to generate revenue. So when Sri Lanka couldn't pay back its loan, it had to hand over the port and 15,000 acres of land around it to China on a 99-year lease. But why is this significant on the global stage? It's the geographical location of Sri Lanka. Many consider it to be a prime port of communication throughout South and Southeast Asia, including the Middle East and East Africa, and it's very important in the Indian Ocean. We know that if the Chinese Communist Party gains control of this port, it can build a base there, which could then directly exert political influence on Sri Lanka, and in many cases even on neighboring countries. Chinese officials say that Belt and Road projects are business ventures, not aid. Most lending is on commercial terms, and the details are often kept secret. The Chinese foreign ministry has said that Beijing is ready to play a positive role in easing Sri Lanka's debt burden. But according to Sri Lanka's prime minister, China didn't offer debt reductions, only more loans. Behind the port strategy of the Belt and Road Initiative is the Chinese Communist Party's geopolitical ambition to expand overseas. That's its fundamental motivation. Sri Lanka is now holding talks with the International Monetary Fund in hopes of financial relief. Chenny Wu, NTD News. That's all for today's China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. If you have any feedback on the show or have something you'd like to see us cover, send us an email at chinainfocus at ntd.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for watching and see you tomorrow. The 2022 NTD 8th International Chinese Vocal Competition will be held from September 29th to October 2nd at the Merkin Hall of Kaufman Music Center in New York City. The competition is honored to have specially invited vocalists with the world-renowned Shen Yun Performing Arts to serve on its panel of judges. The gold award is $10,000. For more information, please visit vocal.ntdtv.com.